passing them down maybe the rows and we'll try to get as try to get them all circumstance or yeah. yeah. And we also have one coming. And even as we're going along, if there are any questions you want to just ask, you know, raise your hand and we'll keep on going with it. And yeah. All right. So I'm going to read real quick. Well, uh, Betts, we're going to read real quick from Isaiah. And uh, then we'll get forward, go forward. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, and basically, the reason why I chose this verse to begin today is because verse 18, it says, Come now, let us reason together. And God is basically saying to people, Come, let's have a conversation. Um, let's literally, let's discuss, let's reason, let's figure this out together. Um, even though God already knows, um, he's asking them to be open with their minds and to come forward. So, um, all right. I mean, what we can do, Mike, too, is just, she can just throw them up on the screen if need be. Or... She actually has them on. I, I have what's yeah. What we got? Okay. Yeah. Um, Mike, I'll let you, are we going to start with that one you want to? Yeah. <laughs> or do you want to pick one? Or do you want to pick one? If election is true, why proclaim the gospel? All right. Within our group here, ask and answer yourself. Is that really, is, is this a two-part question or is it just a one-part question? First of all, ask and answer yourself to yourself. Is election true? Then what is election? Why proclaim the gospel? Uh, why do we have to... Uh, before I really get into answer, I'm going to answer another or ask another question among everybody. If God knows everything, and he does, why do we pray to ask for things? Are we filling in? Are we telling God something that he doesn't know? Same kind of, I'm, I'm going to say the same type of uh, uh, reason is going to be how I'm going to answer this. Is election true? And I'll say yes. No one's called except the Holy Spirit calls them. We as God's workers, God's ambassadors, God's uh, hands and feet and mouthpieces, our job is to only proclaim the good news of the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. If there is someone who has been elected... Then that, then you have to. Who's elected? Are some people not elected? So, election. I, yes, election is true. No one comes to the Father except they be called by the Holy Spirit. We are just the mouthpieces. So, as an act of obedience for believers, you, me. Everyone, our job is not to, or our job is to be the hands and feet, be the voice, be the worker for God here on earth. God knows who is elected. God knows who will respond 
and who will not respond. That's not our job. Our job is to proclaim. Our job is to is to uh, announce the good news that Jesus Christ saves, and only Jesus Christ saves. So that's why we have to do it as an act of obedience. Yeah, I agree, Mike. Um, you know, assuming that the the first premise is true, if election is true, why proclaim the gospel? I mean, if we're, again, presupposing the truth of election, then the reason why we would proclaim the gospel is because what Mike said, we're, we're called to proclaim. And, and it kind of makes it even more interesting because it, it shows you that you are part of a grand narrative of redemption. Um, if God has called a particular group, but he still says to each and every one of us that through you, the gospel is being proclaimed. I mean, that's a glorious thing to think about. That you are rescuing and you're proclaiming, well, not you, but God through you, is um, bringing about the truth to the world. And those people who are elected are going to respond as they should because the Holy Spirit will come upon them, as, as Mike said. Um, so that's why you do that. And, and Mike brings up a really good point, is, okay, like prayer. <laughs> Even Jesus says this, you know, why, why pray? It, your father already knows in heaven what you're going to ask. Why does he say, pray like this, <laughs> uh, if God already knows? Um, well, the answer is because prayer is you going to God and having a conversation with God, and you are petitioning with God, and you're calling out to God. Sometimes it's in desperation. Sometimes it's in joy. Sometimes it's in, it's in all the range of emotions. God, it's not as though God is in heaven and he's just, you know, haphazardly listening to you. He's attentive to you. Every time you pray. Um, and even if he knows in advance what you're going to pray, he still wants to hear your voice. <laughs> you don't ask, you don't receive. Eh, I mean, generally. I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah, unless someone asks for you under that sense, you know, <laughs> technically. Um, and even then, um, so, I mean, it, it kind of adds to that point, though. Okay, if God knows in advance, for example, who's going to be, who's going to even believe, for example, it doesn't negate your responsibility to proclaim. Uh, as Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. There's, there's a command there for each of us to go and proclaim the gospel because the gospel is what makes disciples. Um, and then discipleship is a continual lifelong process of learning the commandments of Jesus and learning all about him in the New and Old Testaments and then following after him. Um, and all that happens because we are told to go, <laughs> to go to begin with. So I, don't, I, I think that a lot of people would see election and then, let's say, free will and say that there's a discrepancy there. I don't think that there has to be. Um, you can have free will, and God can still elect. I think it's actually a, a really miraculous thing that, in the end, God creates humanity with free will, and yet he knows that humanity is going to fall with their free will. And he also knows that there's going to be a lot of pain with free will, and that in the end, he's still going to be most glorified through even people who make bad choices and who make good choices. Um, so for God to be able to do that and to not take away our free will, but to still give us free will and still give us you know, the, this concept of election is really fascinating to me. Um, but it's a hard question. <laughs> it is. It's a hard question. Let's be real. It's a hard thing to fathom. Exactly. It's, controversy today. Yeah, no matter what, there's always going to be controversy. It's hard. But I, I do think, again, when it comes to, let's say, you read Romans 9 like we did a few weeks ago, it's really hard to circumvent election 
it's hard to circumvent the idea that, let's say, Abraham was called. If, if God doesn't go to Abraham first, is Abraham doing anything? No, he's going to be a pagan. Um, God has to be the one to initiate, is the point of election. Um, but he initiates through us proclaiming the gospel. Some things were flying through my brain um, as we were talking about this. Let's just ask the, the second part of the statement, or the second question. Why proclaim the gospel? Of course, we already hash that out. But let, let me ask, and ask this of everybody. As children of God, do you know, or are you aware, or have you contemplated that you are the object of his supreme affection? You, individual. Me. Just, okay, the father-son, father-daughter, father-children kind of relationship. Okay, when you realize that part of our life journey involves getting closer to God, closer fellowship, closer relationship. It's, remember, it's not because God is out there somewhere that can't be reached. It's because we choose to distance ourselves. I think part of that question is, hey, God, why should we do any work when you already did it all? Okay, and if that's a mindset that you have, that God already took care of it, I don't need to do it. Okay, go back to relationship. You have been created and have been appointed by the one who made this whole universe. And he loves you. And he asked you. He commanded you. Hey, do this. I said so. So as an act of... Uh, Relationship, not out of, oh, man, Dad told me I got to go do this, or I got to go do this, like Jonah. Uh, but like, wow, yeah, Dad created the universe. I'd do anything for him. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted me to do what? Wow, what an honor. Okay, so let's, on our fellowship journey, on our life journey, let's kind of work at, Improving or getting closer to God, our Father, Abba, Daddy. Yeah, and then let's see this. <laughs> How do you know a belief you have is true? Hmm. You want to start? <laughs> Sure. Your belief is true if it does not contradict the Word of God. The Word of God is a standard. Uh, just like Caesar, uh, or not Caesar, Pilate, when he said, you know, what is truth? Uh, here a little bit ago, uh, in the politics... Uh, Oh, and the, there was that one sexual... Oh, the, the Supreme Court Justice uh, nominee. There was a reference when that woman came and proclaimed um, her truth. Okay, what is truth? Truth does not contradict the Word of God. Boom. And if you believe something that's not true, boom. That's not the Word of God. And not true. Now, I'm going to, you brought it up, 
uh, all right. So let's say in, in regards to that, I'm going to stand, that uh, Kavanaugh hearing, and then she said her truth. Now, technically speaking, does that have anything to do with, let's say, the scriptures? Technically. And so then the question is, how is that, how do we know if, let's say, her belief is true in regards to what happened? Or how do we know that, let's say, you're not walking along the street one day, and all of a sudden you see something, and then you form a belief about what you see? How do you know that that belief about what you see is true? Or let's say Dan and I are driving down the hill, and I look back up on the hill, and I say, Dan, there's a dinosaur on that hill. And I'm... I'm I look up, I see a dinosaur, I believe that there is a dinosaur on that hill. Is that a true belief? Now, put Sasquatch in there. Sasquatch, okay, Sasquatch, it's a little more believable for Mike. <laughs> it's a little more believable. But no, like, let's say, how do we know? So, like, and then that's the problem that we have in our society, don't we? Um, we have a problem in our society where, okay, Dan isn't just going to straight up say, no, that's not true. Because if he says that, he's conflicting with a belief that I have. Um, so the correct response from Dan would be, you know, Sean, dinosaurs are extinct, right? <laughs> um, he would start bringing in facts to counter my belief in what I've seen. Maybe he'd pull over and say, okay, let's go up on the hill and see if there's any dinosaurs up there. Using evidence <laughs> to see. Evidence, evidence to see if, if there's any dinosaurs. Well, that's also true. Um, but, okay, so let's say, you know, we go up there, there's no print, there's no, nothing on the ground, there's no tracks on the ground. Obviously, I can then, I have a lot of defeaters, what philosophers would call defeaters for my belief. It's irrational for me to continue to believe that then. And I shouldn't believe that. Um, now, I've been reading a lot about epistemology, which is the study of knowledge. And um, Alvin Plantinga, he's a Christian philosopher, number one Christian philosopher in the world. Um, goes, he's, he's at Notre Dame, for example. He's been a professor there forever. High, high scholar. Um, and something that he said is he, he wanted to, to challenge this understanding of belief. He wanted to, under, to challenge this understanding of, like, how do we know a belief is true? And so he came up with three arguments. The first is that a belief has to have... Um, your cognitive abilities have to be working in the environment in which they were designed for. So let me break that down for a second. So let's say that you are abducted by aliens. And they take you to a distant star. And they drop you off in a planet. And all of a sudden you hear an elephant... Now, on that world, a little bird makes the same noise as an elephant. However, you form the belief that you are in the vicinity of an elephant. Now, would you be justified to believe that there is an elephant? Yes. Why would you be justified in that belief? Because on earth, that's what an elephant sounds like. That's what you know. Do you have any truth to your belief, though, that there's an elephant. No. Why? Because in that world, that is not an elephant. That is something completely different. So, for example, today we seem to be saying justifying or to be justified with a belief equals truth. That's not true. I could be justified in a belief and not have a true belief. For example, let's say that I grew up and everyone told me the earth was flat. I have a justification to say, okay, I believe that the earth is flat. Is that true? 
as far as I'm aware, unless you believe certain people, it's a sphere. So is my belief that it's flat, even though I've been told over and over and over again, true? No. I have justification, but it's not true. Um, and also, I have that's also true. You, you have, eventually, as, as you grow up, as you grow up, you'd, you'd start learning more about it. And so, and so, again, when you have certain things like um, justification for a belief, you have a problem if you believe that justification alone is worthy of warrant because it's not true. Um, you could be justified for anything. Let's say I'm a schizophrenic, and I, and I start hearing voices. Does that mean that those voices are actually there? The answer is no. I have a cognitive disability, which is causing me to hear these voices. Um, and so that means that my ability to, to cognitively reason is flawed. And so even though I'm justified to believe that those voices exist, there's no truth to it. So let's say in regards to the Kavanaugh here, let's say what you notice the news media do, because our society does this, is say, it's her truth. Now she's justified to believe that truth because she went through an experience at one time, even though it's very hazy. So she's justified. But does that mean it's actually true? No. Because it could, there could be about 10 different sources of evidence that defeat that argument. Um, and so there's, it's a very complicated question <laughs> in, in regards to this. So how do you know a belief is true? Uh, your cognitive abilities are actually functioning properly, that they're functioning properly in the world or the system in which it was designed for. And then the third is that your cognitive abilities that are functioning in the property in the world that they're designed for are geared at truth. And that's a big problem for naturalists. Because if naturalism is true, the belief that only the physical world exists, um, then technically speaking, if Darwinian evolution is true, Darwinian evolution believes that we're all geared toward one thing, survival of the fittest. And we are only geared toward survival. If that's true, then even your beliefs are based on survival, not truth. So if that's the case, then everything that you see around you you'd have a 50-50 chance of actually being true. The problem is, though, is that the majority of things that you see, you don't take as false 50-50. For example, that uh, smoke detector, we all look at it, we see white, and we also see a smoke detector. There's two truths about it right of, off the bat. Technically, we'd be 50-50 that it's even there <laughs> to begin with. So there's, there's a lot to it. Unless we're all hallucinating, which, I mean... Let's be real, the likelihood of us all hallucinating is actually quite small when we all come together and reason together and everything like that. So it's a very complicated question, but it's a very fascinating question to me personally. I think this is... I'm thinking it's weird. I love this. I don't know. I love that. Any any comments? Any feedback? Anybody want to throw anything out? Because this is... This is... Yeah, big stuff. Because there's a lot of people who say, I believe this, and you can't dispute that. And this is when we can say, no, we can dispute your belief by showing you that you're simply justified for it, but it doesn't have any truth. Um, and we, once we change the, the discussion with these people, we start getting to the truth, <laughs> finally. And that's why it's necessary to study this stuff, because you'd be surprised at how, much, how important it is for our society. It's really important. After the flood covered the earth and all but Noah's family gone, how long before the world 
was populated once again. The world, how long before the world? Well, as soon as the water receded, it was populated because they came out for the boat. Um, I'm not sure I grasped the question or how long was the world. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Let me read it again. After the flood covered the earth and all but Noah's family gone, how long before the world was populated once again? And I guess, I'm not sure I, I still understand that because uh, the population was way lower then. The same question, how long, you know, Adam and Eve, boom, be, um, I don't know. Um, well, it would take generations. <laughs> I mean, it would just take time. I don't. I don't know exactly the exact date. Like, if it was fifty years. Yeah. Or, no. Yeah, and that's the thing too. I mean, there are some scholars who would argue that that, for example, if let's say people were already right in this only in this area, and it just covered this area where the people were, to them, all the people would say. Yes, it's covering the whole world. <laughs> um, however, you, you do have certain things in regards to like Ararat. Like if, if those mountains were really covered, it would take a lot of water to get the... Anyway, um, <laughs> the answer to this is I don't know. Um, Good one. That's my yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be 50 years, 100 years, certain generations. Exactly, and things like that. And there's, there's a lot to it that would show that it was. But um, in regards to this question, no, it would just take time. And, you know, it depends on how much, how many children people were having. If, let's say, Noah and his wife ended up having about 30 more kids and then his children had 30 kids, like, you could probably estimate <laughs> how many, but that's a hard estimation for my mind. Um, and I don't really know. It, even, you know, how, did, was the world, how long before the world was populated again? All you need is one person to populate the world. In theory, you're right. Yeah, yeah, in no, theory. I'm being a wise guy. Yeah, I see. But, okay, what's the population today compared to... Seven billion. Compared to 100 years ago? A lot more. Yes. Was the world populated 100 years ago? With our men? Yeah. Was the world populated when the doors opened and Noah come out? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, again, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer the question other than it, just, it time. Time is what it takes. A few... Few years. Hurry up. Um, oh, we already had that one. That, that was the first one. There were only three. Oh, three questions. Okay. All right. I guess uh, one question that I remember from last time that we didn't get to is okay. Um, real quick, you know, the question was as far as I remember, can you provide a good example of the redemption of culture? And I think that the question was, we were talking at the time, it was a long time ago, in total truth, of, of the redemption of culture. So, for example, we, when we understand the gospel, we understand that the gospel redemption is the redemption not only of our souls, but of all of our beings. And that ultimately Jesus can redeem not only people, but cultures. Um, and he can redeem sciences. He can redeem everything in the human sphere is under his redemption. And a good example of this is in Christ alone. You know, we sang a newish hymn, 2000, um, and it's, it's a completely new song. 
It's a redemption of culture. Another thing, let's say that uh, a lot of you, who listens to Christian music radio? <laughs> Betsy does, and uh, Robin does, Mike does. That's showing that Christ redeems culture. These guys are picking up their guitars, writing new songs, and it's glorifying God. That's a redemption of culture. It's, it's amazing now, because I do a lot of tracking, as you know. But how many Christian radio stations there are, and I can pretty much know where they are, but when something surprises me as being like, well, uh, FLN is at 100.7, but to be in the middle of the dial, most of them are at one end or at the other end. Yeah. But there are so many radio stations, and so many of them, yeah, Family Life just celebrated 60 years, but the majority of them have only been on the airways since like 1985 mm-hmm. and, and forward. And now it's just like, I can travel and I can listen the whole way to West Virginia and have Christian radio. Yeah. I can listen all the way to Virginia and have Christian radio. And that was never before that you could ever do that. Yeah. And the idea of, of this going through and just sharing it and and for people stumbling across it, that's the wonderful thing yeah. that, that God's provided. Mm. Because as you travel, I mean, stations only last so long, and so you travel to a next one, and then... Another no. Christian radio station. It's no. just amazing. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's basic station 101 is that you want to keep on providing it as it goes along further down the road because that way you get money. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. It's a business model. But, um, but along with that, though, the fact that there is, but it's successful. And, and there's also the sense of which, again, you know, that's an example of, of culture being redeemed. We have something on the airways, which is proclaiming the gospel or using Facebook by proclaiming the truth. Um, Christian rap and hip-hop in the inner cities. Again, I I mention this a lot because that is a... If you want to look at redemption of a particular people's culture group, listen to Christian rap and hip-hop. There's this one song by uh, Cross Movement. The particular artist's name is The Tonic. It's called Spare Change. came out in sometime in the 2000s. It, all it is is the moral argument for the existence of God in a song. I don't hear that, in, and honestly, I don't hear that in a lot of Christian music. I hear that in rap and hip-hop, though. I hear this really deep theology in rap and hip-hop that I don't hear in other places in Christian artistry. But that's a good example. Um, they also are willing to talk about more societal things. Um, they're able to critique their culture a lot better than we are because that's, that's part of their music is to get in your face. And so they do. They say, hey, we in the inner city, we are wrong by doing this. We're dancing our way into hell and no one cares. They say that in their songs and they just say it straight to their faces. Um, and it's kind of spectacular to watch this group of people in the inner cities who are just creating this new music for the glory of God and it's pertains to that group of people. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And we should rejoice over that. And they should play it all over the time. Um, and I, I hope that they do. But, um, that's a, but those are examples. And then we also have, you know, paintings. We have people who do sculptures. We have people who do all these different things in culture, and we should rejoice and celebrate. Courageous, the movies that are coming out in regards to a more Christian-based themes. These are examples of the redemption of culture. And we, it's good. Huh? Yeah. Christian, um, like Bethany House and Tyndale and all of those have just come about, I mean, as far as being able to produce and being um, one of my um, uh, writers that I follow on Facebook 
actually several of her books are out there, but she was commenting the other day as far as how um, her, her publisher supports her in, in writing and how they are always looking for new Christian authors and, yeah. and, and stuff. And there's a and, and they're entertaining and they're, they're yeah. not, um, um, but yet they're, yeah, and and that's the thing. Storytelling is is I think it's fine. Tolkien started it. Lewis, all of them. We've been telling stories for a long time. It's good. Um, all right, we need to close. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get started with the rest of the day. And I thank you all for your questions and keep them coming. They're fun to, to talk about and fun to discuss. Father, we thank you so much because you are a God who continues to show us your truth and you continue to give us knowledge about who you are and your glory. We ask, Lord, that you would um, continue to open up our hearts and our minds, that you would continue to, to stretch us beyond our normal means to hear um, what it is that you would have us to know and to recognize just how deep your redemption goes. That it's not just our hearts or our souls, but it's also our minds. It's also um, who we are as people. And it is a great redemption. It is a full redemption. And we thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you would all please rise as we sing our final hymn. Oh, wait. I don't need to be up here. I got lucky. I remember the end of that. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I thank you all for coming out today. I thank you for entertaining our questions and answers, and I pray that your week would go well, that you would continue to give yourselves fully to the great gospel of Jesus Christ and to rejoice over how wonderful it is. God bless. May his peace be with you. Amen.